Welcome to Onco Farm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I'm an associate professor of pharmacy practice here at the Bill Gatt College of Pharmacy at East Tennessee State University in beautiful Mountain Home, Tennessee. Uh, <clears throat> thank you uh, for listening and thank you to the College of Pharmacy for supporting this uh, Oncology Pharmacy podcast. Today we return to our landmarks in Oncology Pharmacy series with a landmark, uh, maybe not quite a, a great landmark uh, paper about the breast cancer chemotherapy regimen AC. <clears throat> so this was published by Bernard Fisher and colleagues in the Journal of Clinical Oncology in 1990. This is NSABP, the B15 study. Uh, here's the title. Two months of doxorubicin cyclophosphamide with and without interval reintroduction, reinduction therapy, sorry, compared with six months of cyclophosphamide, methotrexate, and fluorouracil in positive node breast cancer patients with tamoxifen non-responsive tumor. So some odd things there right away. <clears throat> First of all, it's not two months of, of doxorubicin cyclophosphamide or AC. It's really three months. Uh, and this whole uh, interval reinduction uh, we'll talk about it was not the most important part of the study. Uh, these were node-positive breast cancer patients in the adjuvant setting that were, quote, tamoxifen non-responsive. And we'll get, we'll get into that. So historically, um, previously on this podcast, we've talked about CMF, which was the first breast cancer regimen uh, in the adjuvant setting to show an overall survival benefit. Uh, there was a 12-month study. There were six versus 12 months of CMF showing that six months was as good as 12 months. So this is comparing four cycles of AC to six months of CMF in the adjuvant setting. That's the point of this. And then you can see down the road future podcasts, <clears throat> which would be AC followed by T, AC versus TC, uh, dose dense AC, et cetera. There'll be this whole you know hour of podcasts of just landmark breast cancer chemotherapy studies in the adjuvant setting. Uh, so let's let's get into this um, <clears throat> right away. Uh, a couple things to to uh, to keep in mind as we go through this. Uh, this was 1990, right? So this was almost 30 years ago that this study was published. Uh, the very first of these, uh, the National um, Surgical Adjuvant Breast and Bowel Project, NSAPP did so many of these great cooperative group studies. So helpful to have these studies and where we get a lot of our foundation uh, for how we practice uh, delivering adjuvant chemotherapy. Um, so the B1 study uh, was actually started in 1958. And I had never heard of this, but this is in the introduction of the paper. <clears throat> this was adjuvant thiotepa in breast cancer patients. Uh, and they gave thiotepa on the day of surgery and the following two days. So three days of thiotepa starting the day of surgery for breast cancer. <clears throat> and what they found were that women who had, uh, that were premenopausal, had four or more positive lymph nodes at the time of receiving chemo, actually had an overall survival survival benefit. A five-year overall survival was 57% versus 24%. So a pretty large magnitude of difference, albeit in a, in, a, in a highly selected patient population, not just any breast cancer patient, but a woman who's premenopausal and had a lot of lymph nodes. But in 1958, we had evidence that adjuvant chemotherapy was helpful. But quote, these findings were, for the most part, ignored because they failed to meet physicians' expectations that all patients would be cured by the therapy which is disappointing that many patients maybe missed out on that potential adjuvant therapy that could have uh, improved the cure rates there. Uh, next, we've got the BO5 study, which is looking at um, a melphalan in the adjuvant setting. Um, and then finally, we get to CMF, and we've talked about that. That's the Bonadonna paper from New England Journal of Medicine in 1976, looking at cyclophosphamide, methotrexate, and fluorouracil with cyclophosphamide being oral 
cyclophosphamide. Another thing you may have noticed from the title of this paper is tamoxifen non-responsive tumors. That's not uh, a term we use today and probably not a term that you're familiar with, not a term I was familiar with familiar with when I looked at this. So this is what tamoxifen non-responsive means. It would be uh, a woman under the age of 49, period. So anyone young, so presumably that would be premenopausal under the age of 49, or those 50 to 59 with a progesterone receptor uh, less than 10 uh, phycomoles, I guess, F-M-O-L. Um, so it was looking at a concentration of progesterone receptor. It wasn't looking at estrogen receptor positivity or progesterone receptor positivity. So this is before we even have the term hormone positive. We're using the term tamoxifen non-responsive, which is a combination of both young age and minimal progesterone receptor um, uh, expression or concentration, really. So basically the point of this study, there were three arms. Uh, one arm is, they keep saying two months of AC. It's AC for four cycles, the AC we know today, and six months of conventional CMF. Then there was another arm where they get, two, they get four cycles of AC, and then six months after treatment, they get a reintroduction of uh, IV CMF, which showed no difference compared to either of the arms. So we won't talk about that a whole lot. Um, but it is interesting, going back to this tamoxifen non-responsive, that estrogen receptor concentration did not matter. And this comes from, from previous work from this group, which uh, history did not bear out, as we see. <clears throat> so these were all women with uh, operable breast cancer who had to have uh, at least one positive axillary lymph node. They were tamoxifen non-responsive, and again, that comes from uh, actually NSADP, the uh, B9 study. So patient accrual begins October 1st, 84, and stretches into October of 1988. So it saw five World Series uh, during this time. So in 84, the Tigers beat the Padres. In 85, uh, the Kansas City Royals beat the St. Louis Cardinals in what was called the I-70 World Series because I-70 connects St. Louis and Kansas City uh, through the heart of Missouri. In 86, uh, the classic, um, you know, the, the, the Bosock, Boston Red Sox losing, uh, thanks in part to Buckner's performance in Game 6 to the Mets. In 87, the Twins beating the St. Louis Cardinals. In 88, the Dodgers beating the Oakland A's. So five, five World Series, kind of the, the you know, through the... Um, those mid-80s, uh, those were the glory days for baseball card collectors. Uh, anyway, that's not relevant. Uh, they were randomized by several and stratified by several different factors, uh, including age, the number of positive nodes, did they get a lumpectomy, which was relatively new back then, or a total mastectomy, uh, as well as uh, concentration of um, basically progesterone receptor uh, values. So we know the AC regimen pretty well. It's doxorubicin which they call adriamycin in the paper, using a brand name. 60 milligrams per meter squared, IV on day one, and cyclophosphamide. 600 milligrams per meter squared, IV on day one, every 21 days for four cycles. By the way, they, they call this two months of AC because uh, the last dose of chemo is given on day 63 of therapy, but you know, chemotherapy, the effects last for another couple weeks, so three months is more appropriate in my mind. In fact, subsequent publications describing this study use the term three months, not two months. And they're compared to CMF, and just as a reminder, the conventional CMF is oral cyclophosphamide, 100 milligrams per meter squared for two weeks, uh, 40 milligrams per meter squared of methotrexate on days uh, one and eight, and IV5FU, 600 milligrams per meter squared on days one and eight, and that's a, a 
a 28-day cycle, so four-week cycles. And then the patients, again, they, they got either AC for four cycles, six months of CMF or six cycles of CMF. And then there was this other group that got the four cycles of AC and then got IV CMF after basically like a two-month break. Interestingly, there was no dose reduction uh, for adriamycin, for doxorubicin cyclophosphamide, uh, for patients who had hematologic or GI toxicity. Uh, treatment was delayed until an ANC was above, or granulocyte count was above 1,000 and platelets were above 100. The thresholds we're pretty familiar with today. Uh, if patients required hospitalization because of a septic episode, so basically uh, fever or evidence of infection, uh, then there were dose reductions uh, for doxorubicin and cyclophosphamide. Everything else was given at 75% of the original dose. So there were dose reductions basically for neutropenic fever. Uh, these were about, you know, a little over 2,000 uh, patients in this study, about 700 in each of the arms, the AC arm, uh, the conventional CMF arm, and then the AC and then IV CMF several months later. Uh, you know, these women were all under the age of 60, so there's a little bit of age uh, bias in this study and that all these are fairly young women. Uh, again, all node positive, 14% uh, of patients had 10 or more positive lymph nodes. Um, most of them, you know, uh, 75%, roughly 72% received mastectomy. Okay, so what we see here, cutting to the chase, is that the disease-free survival, distant disease-free survival, and overall survival are identical between both groups. So, you know, three-year disease-free survival, 62% with AC versus 63% with CMF. Distant disease-free survival, 68% in both groups. And this is a three-year landmark analysis. And overall survival, 83% with AC. 82% with CMF. So right away what we see here is that AC is as good as CMF with regards to efficacy in the adjuvant setting for breast cancer uh, with basically half the amount of chemotherapy. So four cycles of AC compared to uh, six cycles of CMF. So, um, but we do see differences in toxicity. Uh, ironically, maybe not ironically, but interestingly, there was more hematologic toxicity in terms of a white blood cell uh, being less than, than 2,000 in the CMF group, 9.4% compared to 3.4% with AC. So more hematologic toxicity. Uh, back then, a grade 4 uh, uh, leukopenia was uh, a white count less than 1,000. That was 0.3% in both groups. Much more vomiting in the AC group. Uh, they def describe, I guess, the worst vomiting as intractable. Maybe hard to describe, but vomiting for more than 12 hours occurred in 37% of patients in the AC group compared to 12 with conventional CMF. Keep in mind, this is in the pre-5-HT3 antagonist era, pre-ondanstron. That goes for the leukopenia as well. This is in the pre-growth factor era. Uh, much more alopecia in the AC group. So complete alopecia happened in 70% 70, 70 receiving AC compared to only 15% with CMF, uh, although many folks in CMF had some degree of alopecia. Um, <clears throat> there were no deaths in either group. Uh, there was more hemorrhagic cystitis, obviously, in the group that got oral cyclophosphamide. There was even more um, hemorrhagic cystitis in the oral CMF group compared to the group that got IV CMF uh, after AC. And then uh, the average number of courses, about well, exactly 3.8 in the AC group compared to 5.5 with CMF. So, you know, roughly equivalent uh, uh, tolerability of the chemotherapy regimen. In fact, you know, more than basically 99% or more median dose was, was received for, for doxorubicin and cyclophosphamide. Uh, and I'll just, I'll, I'll end here quickly by reading uh, the discussion. 
the issue quote, the issue arises as to which of the two regimens might be more appropriate for use as the control group in a new clinical trial uh, or patients unable to participate in trials. Since CMF currently the most commonly used regimen for treatment of stage two breast cancer and is consequently the one with which physicians are most familiar, the findings are likely to be viewed as providing support for continued use of conventional CMF. This is not actually what happened. Uh, AC, uh, because it was uh, a shorter duration of chemotherapy, uh, quickly took over as the most popular treatment for adjuvant breast cancer. And then of course leads into future studies where AC is followed by a taxane, which will be uh, the subject of another uh, Landmarks and Oncology Pharmacy podcast. Uh, so a couple things, just real quick, kind of takeaways here. Uh, this idea of adjuvant thiotepa from the 1950s was interesting. I had never heard of that. Um, uh, tamoxifen non-responsive as a substitute basically for hormone-negative disease. And obviously, this is in the pre-HER2 era when we uh, even knew what HER2 was. Obviously, pre-growth factor, pre-ondansetron era. So the, the, the vomiting data is uh, pretty striking for how, how much vomiting there was back then. Uh, and then, you know, calling this two months of chemo uh, just because the last day of chemo is really is day 63. It's probably actually day 64 if you do the math. Um, but that's what I have today on, on AC. Uh, there had been some prior work with AC in the metastatic setting, but this was the first large publication of AC in the adjuvant setting. Um, and then this um, basically replaced CMF as the standard for adjuvant treatment in breast cancer in 1990 and moving forward until the introduction of the taxanes uh, later in the 90s. Thank you for listening to, to, to Oncofarm. I uh, really appreciate the feedback from listeners. Uh, I appreciate your, your five-star reviews, your ratings in the iTunes store. You can also find us on SoundCloud. Uh, Stitcher, and in the Google Play Store. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at FarmDeetNib. You can follow the podcast at OncoFarmPod and on Instagram at OncoFarmPod. Thanks for listening. And until I talk to you again or talk to you uh, in person, remember, doses matter. Doses matter.